You're listening to the Talking Forest Podcast with your host, Kendra Burns. In today's world, it's important to communicate your story online, and Kendra can help you by diving into social media and providing you with free tips and insights on how to build your organic social media following and shine online. Having been raised low income, first in her family to go to college, and a proud international military spouse, Kendra develops creative media content across many social media platforms from anywhere in the world. Her inspiration comes from the people who give her hope and believe in her so she can believe in you. Follow the Talking Forest podcast today to see how she lives the dream of a traveling virtual entrepreneur and get your tech tips as we keep up with the latest on social media. Hello and welcome to the Talking Forest podcast. This is episode number 17 and we have a guest today that is in the Washington State University Extension as an outreach forester based out of Chehalis, Patrick Schultz. Uh, He has graduated from Michigan State with his bachelor's in forestry and then went on to earn his master's in forestry. Welcome, Patrick. Hi, yeah, great to be on. It's great to hear from you, and I can't wait to get to know you a bit more. Patrick is the WCU Extension Forester for the southwest corner of Washington. He started this position in the winter of 2018 and is diligently working to create educational opportunities for small forest landowners in the region. Prior to taking this job, Patrick lived in Michigan, where he was born and raised and had spent the last several years working for nonprofit organizations that utilized volunteers, education, and outreach to create healthier forests in both urban and natural settings. He also was a certified stewardship forester for the state of Michigan and worked with landowners to develop forest management plans. When he went to Michigan State University, he conducted research focused on agroforestry and restoring soil through sustainable nutrient cycling. He hopes to use this range of experience and passion for teaching to develop programming that enables small forest landowners to achieve diverse management objectives. He believes social media is an important tool for both outreach and education. Patrick wants to utilize it to increase awareness of his programs and generate a following that represents the diversity of forest owners in Southwest Washington. Nice to have you on, Patrick, and I think you have a great knowledge in forestry to help the Southwest region. I'm really excited that they pulled the funding together to have a extension forester in the that area because historically uh, there has been less positions like yours available. So I'm really excited and just kind of wondering uh, how it's going for you and how much you like the WCU extension position. Oh, it's going great. Uh, honestly, this uh, it's really ended up being a dream job, and it's been pretty fruitful so far. As you mentioned, you know, this area has not really had a lot of outreach, uh, you know, education opportunities for small forest landowners in quite some time, at least not in a, you know, form of a dedicated position. And so it's really, <laughs> to be honest, it's kind of made my job pretty easy because people have been... You know, starving a little bit for opportunities to learn more about forest management, you know, becoming a forest steward, writing forest management plans, learning about all different, you know, things from staying in forest to growing mushrooms is something that I'm starting to take more interest in uh, just because of the demand that I've seen. So it's pretty great. It's great 
I have to match whatever the small forest landowners are doing in the area um, and, you know, match educational opportunities to that so I get to kind of learn about all these different things uh, as well. Yeah, definitely. So what you're saying is the demand was there and then once you hit the ground running, you really had the opportunity to ask the need and then you started to, I'm thinking you had this notebook wherever you went, you had a notebook and you kind of wrote down, you know, what people were talking about so that you could go and research how you could help people. Yeah, absolutely. You always have to keep an ear to the ground and listen to what people want. And once I hear the same thing, uh, you know, more than a few times, I realize that there's a demand for, you know, some sort of program, you know, whether that's a workshop or a publication or, you know, even just some online assistance or something like that. Um, clearly, though, there's a need that, that needs to be met. Uh, and that's, that's kind of how I try to function. I, I don't really want it to be just me, you know, dictating what people learn. I, I'd rather people learn what they want to learn about. I mean, that's the only way that you, you actually fill out those events. Anyway, people aren't going to go to something that they're not interested in. Okay, that's a great insight. So I'm going to ask the first question. What was your first job and do you have any good memories of it? And it doesn't have to be forestry related. <laughs> okay, I was going to ask if, that, if it was first job in the field. My first job was actually at Subway uh, as a, a sandwich artist. my title, actually. And I, I got that job as soon as I turned 16. Um, I saved up money for several years before that to buy a real crappy little car, a 1990 Chevy Cavalier, and I needed a job to put gas in it. So that's, uh, that was my first job. I ended up working there all through high school, you know, 20 hours a week, 20 hours a week, uh, just, uh, making sandwiches. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We I have a lot of great memories of it because you just leave smelling like bread and I'm pretty sure I just smelled like bread for two years. <laughs> we could all relate to that. We all start somewhere. Yeah, exactly. So what is your role right now in forestry? Yeah, I mean, as extension forester, I really see myself as, a, as an educator. I mean, there's all different kinds of roles in forestry. There's, you know, field techs, um, technical assistance foresters. There's um, you know, GIS forces, that kind of stuff on the technology side of things. And, you know, the, the education side, it, I'm not going to pretend like it's a new role, but it has been, I think, kind of underutilized in, in past decades. You know, people don't really think of there really being um, a lot of need for education when it comes to forestry. And historically, I think foresters have been kind of closed off from society. And, um, I'm really glad to be in this role and uh, uh, be one of those people that can bring forestry to not just to small forest landowners. That I would also like to, you know, bring education to people uh, in the rest of society just to kind of overcome some of that knowledge gap and uh, make sure that uh, everybody is, is understanding what we do out in the woods. Definitely. I like that you're thinking long-term and also bigger picture. I think that's going to only help the state of Washington, really. Yeah, and I think we're kind of suffering right now from a total lack of 
communication with the general public. I mean, we're kind of reaping what we sowed for the last century of just not really communicating with, you know, with the public about what forestry is. And now it's it's kind of tough to get things done. And we, uh, I think we have to make sure that the uh, the general public is, I guess, has a base knowledge of uh, what sustainable forestry looks like so that they don't get freaked out when they see a 40-acre clear-cut on the side of the road. Yeah, definitely. I think that getting content, creating content, and what you're doing, you're actually bringing people into a classroom. Mm-hmm. And you're not only teaching the full age range. Um, have you seen younger people and also do you have a full spectrum of ages? Well, you know, with this job, and and I didn't mention this yet, but I'm uh, grant-funded and have had the opportunity to teach a few, like, youth classes, but it's on invitation. Uh, I don't really um, proactively go and seek out, like, youth classes and stuff like that just because the money that's funding me is specifically for small forest landowners. I do think that there is a case for you know, saying that one of the best ways to outreach to small forest landowners is actually through youth. I think that, you know, a lot of older, uh, you know, landowners might not listen to me, but they could listen to their grandkids if they're really interested in it. Um, if I, you know, if we taught a class and they go home and they talk about how interesting sustainable forestry is or writing management plans or something like that, it's kind of a form of outreach. Uh, so it's something I'd like to do a little bit more. Uh, but, you know, like I said, right now, it's kind of just when people ask me to do it, I'm, I'm more willing to. Okay, that sounds great. Mm-hmm. What has been your biggest accomplishment so far? My biggest accomplishment like in life so far has been probably finishing my master's thesis, which I'm still trying to get published and have my fingers crossed that that'll happen, you know, sometime next year. But, um, because that is just so much work. <laughs> yeah. But, so I, I really, I really consider that a, a huge accomplishment. But more recently, I, I'd say in this job, the last coach planning class that I did, which uh, people listening don't know, coach planning is a, it's like an eight-week series of classes that trains small forest landowners how to become a, a forest steward, essentially, and develop a forest management plan. Uh, our most recent one has been just a phenomenal success uh, with getting people to write management plans. Everyone is really interested in doing it, and I'm kind of churning through all the drafts right now, and I'm really hoping that I can take that success and bring it to the next one. Because, uh, you know, management plans are, are kind of the one of the metrics for success in uh, my job and, you know, being able to produce quite a few of them and put in uh, a number of, you know, acres under what we would consider forest stewardship is really the ideal. Yeah, definitely. And that plan makes it more concrete and makes that happen. So the fact that you've been doing that for the community in under a year has been amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's great. You just get the right people in there and you figure out what they're excited about and you deliver on it. Nice. So, a little bit about your personality. Do you consider yourself introverted or extroverted? I, I would probably definitely consider myself an introverted person, based off the the definition of, you know, 
the best explanation of introverted versus extrovert I've ever heard is where do you get your energy from? You know, where do you kind of restore? And I do that alone. Uh, that you know, if I'm around people all day every day, I do get drained. Um, but you know, it it explains the fact that I also really do like to go out and talk. I like to teach. I love doing that and being around people. Uh, but I need a balance of both. And I think at the end of the day, I do that best. Uh, you know, I I get most of my energy back when I'm alone. Yeah, definitely. It's okay to hermit. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, I definitely have a tendency to hermit. That's okay. That's different people have different energy and you can go somewhere and the energy can be really high, but if you go so I like to be a wallflower in those moments. Mm-hmm. And then once I see the room and then we all sit down, I can usually do pretty well at a at a table or something. Um, But mingling is definitely, for me, I have to go back to a different part of the the space and kind of, like you said, not necessarily be alone, but it's not that we don't like people, it's that it's an energy thing where for us it's it's more than we we have to give. Yeah, I I totally agree. And I think in the past it maybe has been confused with, you know, me not liking people and that's, uh, it's definitely not the case. You know, I, I'm, I really enjoy being around people, but it's totally an energy thing. Yeah, definitely. So, what is your favorite social media platform and why? Well, <laughs> my shameful secret is that I'm, in my personal life, really, uh, really bad at, you know, being active on social media. I'm kind of a Facebook wallflower. I just kind of read through other people's posts and don't really post very often myself. Um, <laughs> so it's a little bit painful. I mean, once I got into this job and I created a Facebook for my program, I started being much more active on there. So I'm kind of proud of that. Um, I, but I would say in general, I, I really enjoy Instagram. I, I like, you know, I'm kind of a visual person. So always having a picture as like the main piece of any you know, post is really attractive to me. Facebook is great. I get a lot of my news from Facebook, but just the comment section and <laughs> on, on some of those things, which is unavoidable, it's just, and, and I don't know, it's just, it's not that great for your mental health all the time. Yeah, that's what people kind of have to realize is that you can take social breaks and... Mm-hmm. That's what we do to stay healthy, um, but it gets a bad rap because it can be something that we literally sit on for a while, and then if we don't step away, um, we could definitely have a bad mindset or something goes on, and it just gets you all wrapped up, and you're you know you're just rearing to go because of what someone said, and so yeah. that's where uh, part of what I do in talking forest, especially for forestry like people, is I have a reputation management section of my consulting, so I'm able to like you said with the comments, you have to have a moderator, and you have to draw boundaries, especially with professional organizations such as Society of American Foresters or WSU Extension, uh, Washington Farm Forestry Association. Those are organizations that have held their code of ethics for a really long time. And we have to actually 
abide by that and the boundary that you're needing is you know if you don't follow our our code of ethics which has been in place for years then we have the ability to take you off our page Um, and so that's what i am calling reputation management and it's been really rewarding to show people that you can have a positive feed and actually see positive things and so i try to change that for whoever would like to go through that yeah that's great unfortunately i haven't had that problem yet on uh, my programs facebook people are mostly people are pretty you know pro forestry and pro uh you know learning about that kind of stuff it's kind of hard to be uh curmudgeon about (laughs) the things that i post i hope yeah i haven't had any problems yet and i'll keep my fingers crossed that it doesn't I think where you're winning is you really do have uh, the humble way of educating people. Yeah, I appreciate that. So, and then Instagram, like you were saying, it's just very pretty. Mm-hmm. And if you're a forester, you probably love being in nature. And so if you can convey in your feed what you're doing in nature, and if people are really good at it, that's going to be a, a instant draw and on Instagram, it's, um, I want to say it's easy to do, but now that I've actually managed feeds and I've had to visualize feeds before they even go into Instagram, I've scheduled out, you know, a block of nine pictures, uh, and then the strategy behind them. It's, it's actually a lot of work. Yeah. And I feel like Instagram would be tough too, because you have to say more without words. I mean, if you're trying to get a point across, you People don't really read the captions that uh, that much on Instagram. At least they're not going to read a long one like they would on Facebook. You know, you really have to say what you want with the picture. Yeah. And I've thought about getting, you know, into Instagram for my program, but well, one, I'm not sure how many people actually, you know, that I teach actually use Instagram. But the other part is that I'm not sure that I would be that good at it. Yeah. <laughs> it <laughs> takes a finesse, definitely. Yeah. Who are your role models right now? I think, I think my boss, Andy Burleyberg, is definitely one of my role models, and I'm, I'm not saying that because he might listen to this, but <laughs> I, I honestly, he's, uh, you know, he's been a great boss, and he's given me a lot of good leadership, and I see what he does, um, mainly his mentality, his philosophy of, you know, satisfaction guaranteed with W2 Extension and, you know, just making sure you're doing your best no matter what uh, and no matter what that looks like to make sure that people are, you know, getting the resources that they need. It's been really inspiring. And um, I don't know, I, it, it's been great to have him uh, to point me in the right direction and, you know, to give me pointers about things that I wouldn't necessarily think of uh, unless I'd been on the job for some time, which he has. Um, there's also Julie Sackett. And do you know Julie? I might. She was the stewardship forester, the DNR stewardship forester oh. for this region. And now she's moved up into the to the forest health. Uh, she's kind of a bigwig now. And so I didn't get to work with her as much as I want, but I uh, have talked with her a few times, and I just think it's kind of the same reasons as I said about Andy. It's just like this overwhelming desire to help people which I think is really important in this job. If you don't have that, then you're not going to be uh, as effective. And uh, seeing that in other people and seeing that excitement is it's really cool. Absolutely. And 
not to say that I am trying to steal your boss, but I aspire to be like Andy as well. I overwhelmed him with kindness when he had a family forest field day that he coordinated. I came out with my camera and my blessed smile and heart and just did everything that day. I documented the event and then I submitted it to, at the time, Grace Harbor Talk. And he was over the moon, just excited. And ever since we've had a relationship, like you say, if you give, he'll give. And then it's just this back and forth of a mentality, you're right, that is just positive. Yes, yeah. It, and it's so nice to just have someone like that that's just so positive all the time. Yes, so like I said, not trying to steal your boss, I just love his mentality as well. That's <laughs> <laughs> all right, yeah. Uh, so what is your most valuable tip to tell our listeners? Sure, well, I mean, I guess just in general, I would say, um, you know, take, take every opportunity you can to learn something new. You know, not, not even just about forestry necessarily. Obviously, I'm going to preach about that. But um, I just think you need to always be learning in life. And when something's presented to you to, to learn something new, never turn that down. Uh, you know, it's, it's the best way to become a well-rounded person and to not get siloed into certain world worldviews. And, uh, I, you know, you see that a lot nowadays. And I just think education is really critical to overcoming a lot of that stuff. I think a soft skill that I've seen being sold in the HR world lately has been lifelong learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I can relate to that. And a lot of the historic way of doing things, they don't necessarily preach soft skills. And sometimes they're not, they weren't utilized. And it's going to be in the future, I've been looking at predictions on jobs and I've seen some articles uh, into 2030 about what will be wanted and lifelong learning is something that if you have a passion for learning then you may be hired because of that part of that's one of the reasons why someone would hire you in the future what are extra activities that you do outside of your work I love fishing but I've been struggling out here it's different uh, you know, fishing than it is in Michigan. I, I'm used to just kind of fishing for bass. And uh, out here it's a lot of trout and salmon fishing, and I don't know what I'm doing. So it's been, I haven't been fishing as much, uh, partly because I don't know what I'm doing, but partly because I'm busy. But I do really enjoy that. Uh, the other thing I would say is backpacking, for sure, which I'm in one of the best places in the world for good backpacking, and I couldn't ask for better. Are you a day hiker or over-the-weekend backpacker? I mean, preferably I would go for a week or more. Wow. But, uh, you know, that doesn't happen very often. So, like, two or three day trips is pretty great. Yeah, you have the Olympic Mountains, the Cascade Range. Um, yeah. I hope you're enjoying it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. My wife and I went to the North Cascades this summer, and that was just astounding. I've never seen anything like that before. We didn't backpack, but we, you know, we just kind of car camped, but it was fun. Breathtaking. In the North Cascades, I've driven out that way, but I haven't explored like you guys, and uh, I absolutely would love to be out there someday. Yeah. Yeah, well, they call it the American Alps because I guess it resembles the, you know, Swiss Alps so much, and I, you know, I haven't been there. I have to agree. 
I haven't seen the Swiss part of the Alps, but I have been to Edelweiss, Garmisch, and I did get to see the Alps in Germany this year, that's, and I'm just over the moon. That's good. Yeah, you're in a good place for that, too. So, excited. Mm-hmm. I want to go to Switzerland in 2019. Yeah, well, I hope you do. Yeah, I would love that. So, do you have anything else you would like to add today to tell our listeners? There's just such a great community of foresters here, and then I feel like, you know, I'm a part of a larger team that's, you know, taking this sort of landscape-level approach to helping people in this region and making forests healthier. Uh, And I really hope that, you know, that is also occurring in other areas. I know it is. Um, And it's just great to be a part of, like, this, you know, larger group of, of people that care about, you know, forests and the environment. Absolutely. I think you're going to have some lifelong friends after this process, and I think you're rebuilding the trust in the community, like you said, historically. You alluded to earlier education not really being a focus in the community. In forestry specifically, there's been a lot of things since the 80s that have happened. Uh, I do consider myself the post-owl generation, or we are the post-owl generation, so we're dealing with the fallout of people who have really been hurt and have had uh, lost their jobs and the mills have been shut down and all these things. And so now we're rebuilding. I, I really truly believe that you're rebuilding a community of people that are interested in using wood, doing sustainable practice. And I'm really happy that you're rebuilding the trust in the community and, and doing that in forestry. No, I appreciate that. And I'm really glad that you're doing what you're doing as well. I think it's really important. Uh, and you're kind of like tying a lot of that community together. So I appreciate that. Yes, with a little pink bow, I think I can <laughs> try to do that and continue the work in Talking Forests into 2019. I'm really excited. So Yeah, that's great. Me too. It's great to have you on today. And I really enjoyed Patrick and just wanted you guys to hear about what he's been doing as an extension forester in an outreach position in Southwest Washington. So I hope you have a great rest of your day, Patrick. Yeah, thank you. You too.